A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truthiest life Hello and welcome back to The Truthiest Life. I need to take a moment to just pause and thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of the support on our launch and on episode one. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. Thank you for the personal messages, the shares on social media and the interpersonal shares with your family and friends. I feel super aligned right now doing this podcast and Outweigh as well. I'm spending a lot of time in my closet. I'm here right now, but I am determined to bring you the best audio quality possible. And this is my truthiest life right now. This upcoming episode is all about effing the timeline and the magic that happens when you follow your gut and your instincts. I did listen back and I just want to be 100% honest with you guys that the language that I used a few times accidentally doesn't really reflect where I'm at right now. You know, this podcast, I want it to be a place for all humans. I want everybody to be heard and accepted for how they identify in the world. And I use some exclusionary language like finding a man, for example. So I just want to note that it's something that I'm working on. And for this episode, if you would be so kind as to know that I mean partner in general and however that person chooses to identify. Content warning for this episode, we will be discussing sexual assault. This episode is fantastic and I'm so excited for you to hear. Let's dive in. Today we have on my dear friend, registered dietitian, Carolyn Brown, and I'm so excited to have her as a guest because, Carolyn, in the last year, I can honestly say that you have stepped into living your truthiest life. 
But all of this abundance, it didn't just happen by accident or coincidence. It happened because you left your comfort zone, you endured a loss of a dear friend, and you gave a really big middle finger to what you call the life timeline. So it has definitely been a wild almost 12 months for you. So much change, so much goodness amidst some tough stuff as well. But it all happened because you let go of safety and I think you stepped into uncomfortable and unknown. So welcome. I'm super excited to see you. Thank you so much for having me. That's such a sweet introduction and it's cool to hear how it appears to other people when, you know, internally it can feel like a tornado dumpster fire. So, and like a combination of all of those things. So thank you. Yeah. And you're in a recent Instagram post, you kind of like summed it up. And just so everyone knows, Carolyn's one of my best friends. So we talk beyond what meets the eye. So I do know a lot of the internal stuff, but it's kind of fun to see how you lay your life out on the internet. And recently you wrote um, a picture that said, be patient. Miracles take a little longer than settling does. And and the caption said, I started my dream business at age 34. I re-met my dream man at 34 and a half. I love that half. I'm a big half birthday celebrator. And then you say, none of this would be on the timeline I imagined, but it's better than I ever could have imagined. So try to put the timeline you had in mind aside and see where life takes you. By now, I thought at 30, you know, almost 35, I would have a million kids and definitely like be married and had have a very different life when I was 20, what I thought it was going to look like. And and it's taken me a long time, but in such a fulfilling way to really get way beyond what I even had written down on my dream life list. And you've been talking about this timeline for a long time. Like you're not just here to be like, F the timeline, it all works out. Like you were saying, F the timeline before you had a lot of these like big things down, like your business and a man that you seem to love and loves you back, like all that stuff. Like, so what is it like to kind of look back on that timeline? Did the timeline give you anxiety even when you were pushing past the struggle? Definitely. I think micro anxiety, definitely. But I also, I mean, I'm very trusting of there's something bigger happening, whether you want to call that God or the universe, or for me, it's like about nature and just there's things connecting in ways that we can't quite put our finger on. But to backtrack a little bit even more, I guess, like my, my parents had a divorce and that really burned the idea of marriage for me in a lot of ways. I have a lot of friends around me who have great marriages, You're you being one of them who, you know, are really like inspiring partnerships. But that wasn't something that was like as much of the dream goal as I think it is for a lot of other women around me. That was coming from a really honest place of like, F that timeline. Until I met my current partner, I I wasn't even sure about marriage for me. So the marriage part, that didn't matter. But finding somebody as your friend, I can confidently say, has always been important to you. And, it, you know, you said you wanted to have a million kids. So like there was a timeline, maybe not necessarily like the traditional marriage, but the family aspect you wanted. Is that what you mean? Yeah, totally. And I think it still continues to be I mean, it's, I'm 30, going to be 35 and still not quite there to have kids yet, but I'm also super trusting of it. I understand a lot about like how our bodies work, getting our bodies into really healthy place. So hopefully, you know, from a timeline perspective, it won't 
really be that much of a huge deal. But it's definitely, that to me was always the bigger part of it is like we do as women have biological clocks. Right. Have time. That's like the one timeline that you do have to consider. But I've been, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I definitely had thought about freezing my eggs and going down that route too. So yeah, I think that there are some external timelines and then some internal timelines and it's sort of up to you to gauge from what's coming from, you know, culturally from our family and friends and what we're seeing around us and what feels really right for you versus, of course, there are some like actual physical timelines as well. So Carolyn and I know each other from being registered dietitians, or you've been a registered dietitian a little bit before me and living in New York City at the time. And you are certainly one of the best dietitians that I know. I refer so many clients to you and you're my personal nutritionist when I need help, of course. But you were really stuck. I say this as a loving friend in New York, even though on paper, I know you were in a really successful job and, you know, financial. It was a well-paying job with, you know, lots of regular clients that loved you. But in many ways, you were kind of like not tapping your potential. And I think it like reflected in like even your dating life, which for anyone who doesn't know Carolyn, she's the most beautiful person inside and out. She's the funniest, loving, giving. And you'd go on these dates and you'd like these guys. And they were just like horrific dating stories, right? Like I know. It's juicy dating stories. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You set me up on several of them. So I did. Yeah, I totally agree. It was like not quite stepping in fully to my potential. There were things that I was I was scared of leaving my old job that sort of felt at one at some point, I mean it was an amazing experience. It was my first job as a registered dietitian. I was there for about 10 years. Amazing mentorship that I got from that relationship and dynamic. But at some point it just everything started to feel stagnant is the really the way that I yeah. best explain it. My apartment felt stagnant. It was like my physical surroundings, office wise, relationships wise, whether it was with men that I was repeating cycles that I could see from a mile away, or even like old friend dynamics and stuff too, that just felt like it was time to clean slate a little bit. Yeah. I mean, even like the location of your job, which was the Upper West Side, if anybody's from New York, like Carolyn, love you, but you're not an Upper West Side lady. Like you are a downtown lady through and through, you know, so I feel like you were just like, like being different people and then trying to come up as one and there was just this mismatch and I I know as your friend I was always like you gotta leave New York you gotta leave New York you got like something and then when you finally did oh my gosh it just yeah everything clicked into place and aligned so easily for me it was like out of a movie script where it was just like things were so simple the apartment that I live in now I got off of FaceTime like the way things happen so smoothly well there were some bumps that I want to get to in just a second but before I kind of transition into that I do want to ask you what made you finally start your words betting on yourself like you took all the leaps at once moving across country to Denver starting a new business you know the whole thing it felt like I had no other choice I hit a point like internally where there was just it was no longer an option to stay in that current life the way that it was it just felt again like I wasn't growing I'd reached my potential work-wise I wasn't really learning anything new I was doing weight loss for over a decade which just didn't feel aligned to me anymore and so it truly it felt like I had no other option something had to change or like I was going to implode did it feel 
feel like a dead end or like rock bottom? Um, More like a dead end. I was definitely scared to have certain conversations and there was anxiety and fear, but it was much more of like that chapter was coming to an end and I could see it so crystal clear. It it almost felt in some way, even though we'll get into the parts that were very effortful, it in some ways was effortless that it was just like, and this chapter is over now. And just to kind of go very briefly into like what it's like to be single in New York City, how would you describe that experience? It was interesting. I mean, for me, a lot of the time it was really fun. I had amazing friends and was dating a ton. I've met so many new people and interesting people who really informed what I ended what it ended up that I looking for and, you know, now found. And so in a lot of ways, it was like great, great stories, great experiences. I don't think I knew that a partnership existed in the way that I understand it now. So I was sort of like, okay, who could I find that I can put up with, which is really sad. Whereas now I sort of, I see relationships really differently. Well, you mentioned that your parents were divorced. What age did they get divorced? Uh, 14. Okay. And my parents got divorced at six. Do you have a lot of memories of your parents prior to 14 or no? I do, but in some ways, I some things that I've like blacked out. And yeah. I, I mean, I had a really, really easy, great childhood, too, pretty undramatic. But in some ways, that's why this the divorce like rocked everything because I didn't even know my parents ever fought. Like mm. they never fought in front of me. Um, so it was um, really like a shocking, total life change when I saw a relationship, the foundational relationship in my life, not work. But like, was there a reason that you thought a relationship should look like, what was the word you just used? Like, just like getting by with somebody putting up with? Yeah. Yeah. I think I haven't had many um, amazing relationship examples around me. Well, yeah, I'm kind of like prying into that a little bit because obviously like more than 50% of people have divorced parents, myself being included. And while I too had a quote unquote easy childhood and, you know, I think like the best type of divorce that could have happened. My mom was very agreeable and so forth. I didn't realize the ways in which necessarily the divorce impacted me relationship wise, but I only saw my parents fight and then get divorced. And then my dad and stepmom were my other unit. And for my, you know, childhood years never fought. So I didn't know how to fight and resolve. And so in my relationships, whenever I got into a fight with a boyfriend, I was like, okay, bye. And then they were like, what the heck? And then and then I said bye. And then I think sometimes like, it's not necessarily the divorce that stains our brain relationship wise, but maybe we don't know what to model if we didn't see that. That's a perfect explanation too, dissimilarly. But like for me, it was really just like someone can leave you at any point. So I think that there's like that element of it for me too, that was really sort of like keep someone a little bit at an arm's length. Some good relationships that I did, you know, really let someone in and got really hurt. So Mm -hmm. that's again, that reinforcement was really there for me at a young age. Right. So you barely opened your heart to many people. And then when you did open, Mm -hmm. you'd get burned. And so, you know, you said that like you found yourself in dead end cycles with guys, like the same guys, the same patterns. And you're a very smart, intelligent, strong woman. So looking back now, do you have any sort of like understanding as to like what that cycle looked? like or why you did that? Yeah, I, I'm embarrassed to say some of it, but I will since we're talking about our truth is like, well, it's interesting. I've definitely found myself being, I would get into dynamics where a guy had a partner or a girlfriend and wouldn't tell me and would turn into like another, the other woman in some ways, which like was shocking to me every single time, but it kept happening. So at oh some gosh. point you're the problem. This happens three times in a row we got to go to therapy about this and really like clean slate. I stopped dating for maybe for a couple of months. I remember when I kept feeling this repetitive pattern happening 
And my dad has moved on and, you know, it was a very dramatic breakup among my parents. And, you know, the other woman won. My therapist would like go to town at that, with that one of like, you know, you learned that the other woman won, but is that who you want to be? And of course Ooh. it's it also wasn't like an intentional decision on my part. I felt these yeah. situations just kept finding me. Just to give yourself some credit, like that there's nothing to be embarrassed about. As your very honest friend, it also felt like these situations were happening to you. Obviously, yeah. there is some psychological or energetic maybe dynamic that was like pulling you into them. And I don't think anybody's to blame, but I don't think you should feel any shame in that. Because also, it's not like these guys were like, I have a girlfriend and do you want to be the girl on the side? Men Many of them were like roping you in. Totally roping me in. And, you know, then there's something to that too. If you're like the fun one that doesn't need to be taken seriously, because mm. uh, I wouldn't want to like lead with all the drama or anything like that. But then you end up being a real person to a man. And a lot of times it's not a match. And so that was a difficult sort of awakening too. And yeah, I don't know. Dating in New York, it's a, tr it's a tricky thing. I don't think that many men move to New York to meet a woman. I think they move from like a career focused standpoint. So to me, I, that was what I kept finding over and over too, was like, you're just not going to be the priority. Um, and there's so many beautiful, successful, amazing women in New York. But I think it's hard for men or there's a lot of Peter Pan syndrome there too. You never used a dating app. Like I think once you were on a dating app, right? Yeah. And you were single up until 2020. Yeah. I had one boyfriend and yeah, that was. So I don't mean like fully single. I just mean like, it's not like, you know, we're recording this in 2014 and like dating apps are just starting, but you know, on and off throughout the years you've been single and I don't I think you've barely been on the apps yeah as minimally as possible but I just always really trusted I would meet people in real life and that has always worked for me mostly so when I when I was single in 2014 for six months I I think like I was I was all up in the apps that was the only time I was in the apps and I find it so interesting that you were like resistant to the apps because I found them really fun yeah I would like log on I think I've logged on a couple of times where to like swipe through and see what's out there but then I don't know. It just never felt like aligned for me and trust that. And it's interesting, you know, you, you trust that in certain areas of life and then you override it in other areas of life. But for me, that was one that I was like really pretty sure I was going to meet someone in real life. And I, I was too, by the way. I mean, I talk about obviously you being my single beautiful friend, but I have a few friends who are like you. And I think I came up with this phrase when talking to you once, but I think about it all the time. It's like we think that like there's something wrong with us as we're getting older as females that we can't find anybody. But really, like I look back on all my friends who are single, but like don't necessarily want to be single. So not necessarily want to be married like that wasn't your goal. But like, you know, you wanted somebody or a family or something. And and it's fine if you're single and you don't want that. But I'm talking about my friends that were so awesome, had so much going for them and haven't been able to find a man. And I always think like every pot has its lid. Like I really believe that. But the more unique of a pot, the harder it is to find a lid that goes onto it. So it's actually a positive thing. There's nothing wrong with you. There's so many things unique and right about you. Of course, it's going to be more difficult to find that lid. Thank you for saying that. That's a beautiful explanation of how I feel about many of my currently single friends too. That it's like, it also is about finding your match. And if you're going to spend a long time, a lot of years with someone and raise a family, like you better have a really good lid. A really good lid. Yeah. It takes, it's like, can be a little bit of a dance. And I just, I think settling wise, 
I just was really clear that like, I didn't just want someone who had a good job. I like mm-hmm. want someone who really has energy like me and has just like a spirit and hopefully an entrepreneur. I had like a lot of things that I thought he might be. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. I just wasn't finding that in New York. And at some point too, I was like, I can't believe I thought I was going to find my person here. I don't mm-hmm. like any of these. Like these people just don't feel like the match for me. Why am I searching for like a dust of gold in a sand pile? So... And we're going to get to that dust of gold that you did find. But this podcast is about talking about the hard stuff that people don't talk about. And it gets brushed under the rug. And I remember in, I believe it was 2018, walking into my therapist's office and you had called me and it was around the time of the Me Too movement. And you shared something with me that we had never talked about in person. And again, Carolyn and I are not like colleagues, like we're best friends that talk about hard stuff. And you shared something about, are you comfortable talking about that a little? I'd love to talk about it. It's not something I've ever talked about publicly, but it's been really influential and probably really influential in my dating life too. So it's an interesting thing to that. Uh, In 2010, I had two sexual assaults. One was like a full-blown rape and about three months apart from each other. And I knew both of the men really, really well. And it was devastating. We, We both have talked about like the before and after of our parents divorcing. For me, this is the other before and after where I really all of a sudden, I cut off all of my friends. I went completely sort of, I I first didn't realize the severity of what had happened. And then luckily was already in with a therapist. And it was terrifying because I all of a sudden, these weren't like these violent, crazy things either. They were friends of like people I knew. Walking out of the house all of a sudden felt terrifying. Like I felt like if someone came up behind me on the subway to get a subway ticket, that that was a threat. It was like my body was always on this super, super high alert that I just couldn't override. And so that was when I sort of had a full breakdown. Um, I tried to quit grad school. I, tr- I wanted to like go woofing. I wanted to go work on organic farms as far away from New York as possible. Did you want to do that too? <laughs> so badly wanted a woof. I kind of wish that we both individually woofed and found each other at that time, but I never pulled the trigger on that. Yeah, but this was the one piece, the one time my therapist ever gave me advice. She was like, you need to be surrounded by people who know you and care about you and mm-hmm. love on you right now. So can we back up for one second? You said one was full-blown rape, which like as your friend, I'm like, first of all, like chills, but also like crying a little. I knew there was sexual assault. I don't believe you ever said, you know, the words full-blown rape. I think it's probably the first time I've ever used it because I try to make it less severe than it was, but that's what it was. Then you said like, I didn't think it was a big deal. So how does your brain not register something so obvious as something so traumatic? Yeah. I think what we try to do is you're like, oh, it's just sex. It's just sex. It's like not that big of a deal. It's like one time. It was, you know, 10 minutes of my life. How can 10 minutes of your life be that impactful? But in this case, it really, really was. And also because I knew each of them separately. Mm -hmm. One, actually, the second, the less severe one was a friend from college. And so that was that was cutting off entire friend group. And it's interesting because I I, not that I, I would never blame myself for either of those situations, but I definitely was probably less self-protective in some ways after the first incident happened. And then when the second incident happened, I like completely like sort of not exploded the opposite, sort of like went inwards, like into a teeny little shell that like everything external to me felt unsafe with the exception of like three friends and my family. Is there coincidence that there were two? Did they know each other? Is there? No, they didn't. Um, No, I think that again, like I just 
not quite put, I, I don't want to say put myself in a situation for the second thing to happen, mm-hmm. but I went home with someone who I really trusted and thinking that we would like snuggle on the couch. It was New Year's Eve. And when he started to like really make moves and get really aggressive, I ended up running home without shoes on, oh. um, on like Houston Street in New York City on New Year's Eve. So and how I just, old are you at this point? I was 20, 24 or 25. These are like critical open your heart or close your heart years. Totally. And that one, yeah, there were just like a lot of surrounding friends involved that I didn't feel like totally had my back. And so it ended up being a really important moment in time because I like clean slated friend, like entire friend group. I mean, I haven't really spoken to anyone in that group in 10 years from college. Um, And it ended up being like the best thing I could have ever done for myself. But it was like terrifying at the time. Pre those events and post those events, can you kind of see like the men that you chose afterwards? Like, is that maybe why you like kept people kind of distance? Like you called it them distancing them from you. But do you think you were just going after people that kind of couldn't have that power? over you again? Yeah, I think so. And I did a lot of like trauma work, um, a lot of both therapy, acupuncture, like this wasn't something that I wasn't talking about, but also something that's always been in the back of my head is like, I have access to all of the most amazing practitioners in the world who helped me heal from this. Like this happens to so many women who don't have access to this. How do people survive this, especially violent situations? So that's something that I've given like a lot of thought to. And that also is why I wanted to like talk about it because I know this happens to at least one in four women. One in four women rape or date rape? Um, Usually some sort of rape or sexual assault. Sexual assault. Okay, got it. I think that having these conversations, which we didn't plan to talk about, by the way, thank you for opening the doors for anybody who's listening. I know that when you told me that story, it triggered a memory in my mind as well that I repressed very deeply of not necessarily rape at all, but, you know, saying no and have it, you know, very playfully being not honored. And looking back on that, I feel so much anger (laughs) towards not acknowledging that. And I think every woman needs to know that if you know them or you, you know, there's a line that gets crossed and the two people know that the line is being crossed. And if that's ever happened to you, even if you knew the person or whatever the situation was like, you will be okay, but you're not okay. Yeah. I just want to add one thing to that too. A lot of times there's alcohol involved and Mm. in both situations, the men supposedly didn't remember. And that was like, gut, you know, gutting for me because it's like, that's part of the reason why I convinced myself it wasn't that big of a deal is because I was being told you're the only person who remembers this. So you faced them afterwards, you know, you ran on the street with no shoes, but the day after or weeks after. Kept, that man keep, kept reaching out to me. Uh, in fact, I would like, he ended up years later living on my street. So I would run into him on the street. Um, and it's one of those things where I knew him for so long. So I would almost go to say hello and then would remember. And so you go from this like, oh my gosh, of course, I'm like going to give you a hug to like, holy shit, you're the scariest person ever. It's just also, I think that the alcohol and, and we can, of course, go on for years about relationships with alcohol and addiction and all of that stuff. But that also was a life-changing moment for me in that way too of just like I need to stop putting myself in dangerous situations involving alcohol where someone where I might put myself in a situation I don't want to be in or other people have less control or won't remember. Do you believe that they don't remember? I definitely don't. (laughs) 
I don't either. Or, you know, I get I, I don't know. Maybe they repressed it, but I'm going to go with definitely not. But you were in a state of danger afterwards. You said just walking out of your house. Do you hate that about your nervous system or do you appreciate that it was after you're violated that it like sends signals to protect you? I think it's amazing. I'm so grateful for that. And it also made me really zero in on the people who were safe and like create a little, you know, tribe around me that was like my protection. Um, I luckily, my parents are both amazing and knew really soon after what had happened. And so it was like, you know, my small inner unit was like my safety net. Had you just moved to New York at that point or you had a few years of New York? A few years. I was there for grad school. So I was going into my last year of grad school at NYU. I don't know if this is going to be a horrible analogy, but with alcohol, like if it's a problem, this is a horrible analogy. But what I'm trying to say is that with assault or eating disorders, like with eating disorders, you have to face food every step of the way. With Mm -hmm. sexual assault, you need to go outside again (laughs) and see men or specifically those men in your situation and hear this thing, which is, you know, sex can be loving and it's just ruined for you. But not that you obviously don't have to have sex again, but how do you train your body to let it know that this is safe? I love that you're asking this. It's not something I would have thought to bring up, but the first few times I had sex after that, I had panic attacks. The the man that it was with knows everything. He's a a longtime friend. And so that was, I, I felt super lucky and super loved and like held by him and seen. And like, that was really, really important. As I've gotten, I mean, this was 10 years ago now. So it's definitely, it doesn't occur to me. It's not like I think about it. Okay. I'm going to be intimate with someone, but it definitely took a while and took a lot of yeah, honesty about it. I think that's important for people to hear that might have be freshly off that situation to know that like the body's response immediately might be panic. But this thing that should be loving, it can return to something loving if in the hands of the right person. Totally. I completely agree. And I think, yeah, it absolutely can. And you just want to make sure that you have like really open communication with whoever the partner is and that they're really aware of, you know, that. And if you have, if you have a freak out moment, that's also okay. That's not going to make someone not love you anymore. But I would definitely suggest waiting until you feel like it's the right person and the right time for you. And doesn't mean it's the one, right? Like, it doesn't mean you have to wait to have the like the one to to be intimate with somebody again, but somebody who is can be nurturing. Not every man can be nurturing. Totally. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And there's been people who have been great about it. And then people who've been, you know, less so without even going, you know, not necessarily having sex, just if there's, you know, people's responses to this stuff can be difficult, you know, from the receiving end. And that even like the way that you actually even brought this up was with me too. That was really hard for me to like, remember it again, remember it again, and have it feel like it's everywhere. Similar. It actually is a great analogy with eating disorder stuff, because it was like, every time I looked at my phone, it was about sexual assaults. Every time I turned on the TV, looked at the news, listened to podcasts, like everything felt like it was bringing back up the the fact that threats can feel like they're everywhere. And then the second end of it, which is the man can say that he doesn't remember and that it didn't like that part feels invalidating to the experience. Yeah. For me as your friend, that makes me mad. Yeah. It's infuriating. And also like 
I can say now I never would have brought charges. Like it never even occurred to me to press charges and it wouldn't, it wouldn't. That's I mean, I'm amazed by women who do, but like it wasn't an option for me. And like, I never would want women to like silence their voices at all about any of this. But for me personally, it truly didn't occur to me. I think I had a few people bring it up, but. I know that that's not something that you've spoken about before. It's a safe space for me too. And I think it's a really important conversation. And my, I know that my audience keeps that sacred space for you. And I know that you just changed somebody's life that may not have realized that they need to acknowledge that. So um, not to starkly pivot away, but and also not to go into something else a little bit dark. But I think that when we talked about your move to leaving New York, we made it seem really magical, which magical things did happen. But if I recall, week one was not all that fantastic for you. Yeah, it was really um, heartbreaking. So I got here on a Monday. I road tripped. I went to Lisa's wedding, went back to New York, road tripped out here for for a week. Um, I have some good friends that I landed with in Denver. And the next day, the day after I got here, my ex-boyfriend who was in Colorado, he was like my first love, my, you know, sort of 19 to 24 romance. He passed away. And it was like absolutely devastating. It was the worst, like that's the first person I've ever had really close to me die. And the fact that it was him, I still don't have words for. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating 
for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So just to kind of back up, I don't think people can really like digest that. It was an ex-boyfriend that I've heard you call like your soul friend before. You've talked about Josh throughout the years. Yeah, Josh was like my first love. I think we had like a really serious relationship really, really young. Um, I met him on semester at sea. We went to college together and then we were in New York together for a couple of years there too. So it was just like one of those young, super serious, like he was my first home in another person. His family was my extended family. And we had maintained like this beautiful, sweet friendship for the past you know, eight or nine years since we had broken up. He was like family. He was like a brother. To be clear, you weren't moving to Colorado for him, right? He was in Colorado? No, it was just like bonus that once I was moving here, he happened to move back from San Francisco too. So he happened to be here. He was in, I think, Aspen and you were moving to Den. You, move, you live in Denver now. Yes, exactly. Okay, so you get there and you unpack your things and you then get hit with this piece of information. Yeah, his sister texts me and yeah, he overdosed. I, I, it's not really my story to tell. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't shocking and it was still the hardest thing, like the worst news that I could have ever gotten. Did it just feel like any sort of a sign that like this wasn't the right move? Actually, it was the exact opposite. So amazing that I happened to be there that day. There were these huge snowstorms coming in. And if I'd been in New York, I never could have got up to Aspen for this, the services. And so it was just like actually this beautiful thing that I happened to be there and could, you know, still spend time with his sisters even currently. And like to be able to be here with his people. And I know how big of a role I was in his life still too, that it was like ended up being this really beautiful thing, even though it was like the most heartbreaking and like, a you know, the what the fuck God, I still don't have like a conclusion for it or anything doesn't feel like tied up in a neat little bow in any way it feels very messy and sad so did it just throw off your balance of footing and and where to go next not I mean Josh wasn't an active part of my life at the mm -hmm. moment it was I like grief is a crazy thing I would cry at like random parts of the day but it also was strange because I was like grieving the loss of someone who I knew really really young mm -hmm. and we like definitely had very a very like kind, loving, respectful relationship. We weren't, you know, in daily contact or even monthly contact. Right. So it also felt weird to be like grieving the loss of a former love. Like I didn't want to be like crying over my dead ex-boyfriend all the time. And I think he had a current girlfriend, right? Um, he didn't, but and, uh, but it was like and it's funny. Like we all ended up, all of his girlfriends came to the services, and yeah, it was like a beautiful sort of send off. But it still is like shocking to me every time I think of it every day. And you clearly present, especially if people are following you right now, as the most bright, light, energetic, connected to yourself, 
you know, that's kind of where you're at right now, which is why it's such a fun time to kind of interview you for Truthiest Life. And you've always presented like that for me. But I saw you post on Instagram something that I thought was super interesting because, again, like you're my nutrition go to. You're my health pro. I know you know everything and from a real like holistic point of view, but like very research backed, et cetera. But you wrote a post and you and I have talked about like the pressures of being a health professional and not having our own shit under control sometimes when it comes to wellness, you know, having poor coping mechanisms. But you wrote, for a long time, I use food and alcohol and Adderall and Clonopin as coping mechanisms. If I was sad, wine and pizza, happy margaritas, overwhelmed with school or work, Adderall, and then anxious from the Adderall, so then back to Clonopin. You said you were out of touch with what your body needed, but what it really needed was connection and real friendship, rest, silence, getting lost in a book, cooking, yoga, acupuncture. And this particularly speaks to me because it was a photo of me, you and Abby. You know, we have other nutrition friends, Carrie and Molly, too. But the three of us in, were in that picture. So I was honored to be part of that healing circle because you're certainly that for me. I love that. Yeah, it's been so important to have friends who get you, too. And that specific phase was really like after the sexual assaults, there's mm. definitely like a numb phase of life for me. And it took a long time to get off medication, especially when medication's prescribed. Ooh, yeah. I find that that's a really complicated dynamic and, and it's tricky. Yeah. When, when a therapist or different doctors are prescribing you things. And when you need it. I think when you're in a state of trauma and I didn't even tie that together, I, you know, again, we didn't plan to talk about that episode of your life. I just wanted to talk about like, you know, self-medicating, even if it's prescribed. But like when you're in that state, I'd imagine even if you have all the tools, you can't use the tools when you're in that heightened state of trauma. But then time goes by. And like you said, you're in that cycle of Adderall and then Clonopin, I think, is the the calm down one and so forth. So generally speaking, not necessarily how do you, but how can a person not necessarily move away from self-medicating if they're still using medication, but how can we develop new coping mechanisms or what can you kind of tell us from looking back on this journey when it was sad, wine and pizza, happy margaritas? Like what would the first step somebody could do to develop one new coping mechanism that, again, all that you listed, sorry, I just want to drive this point home, are normalized. These are coping mechanisms that are normalized. We saw this all quarantine. I saw I was very bothered by the way specifically moms, I get you're stressed and there's Zoom and there's kids in your house. But like they're like, oh, I'm going to drink all the wine because I'm stressed, like such normalized behavior that, in my opinion, should never be normalized. You and I understand addiction <laughs> very well. How can we say, hey, OK, we're doing this, but it's not normal and develop a new coping coping mechanism. The first is like a little bit of awareness. I think for me for a long time with, especially with Adderall, I like, it was kind of fun. There's something that like felt almost good about it, but like the, the cycles of it felt horrible when I looked at it like big picture. So to me, first of all, it was at this point too, just to like reiterate, I had like cut off a lot of friends and it doesn't matter if you haven't done that, but it was sort of like filling voids too. So I think the first thing is some outreach, whether it's a therapist, like a couple of point, having a few point people. And I always think of this as having like a little angel network, you know, in place. And so that could even be through doing a yoga teacher training to meet some new people who are into the same thing as you. Or um, I know it's, it's especially tricky you know right now when we can't really be meeting a ton of new people but I think that things that feel healthy for you on a weekly basis, even I think it doesn't have to be this whole like meditating every single day, even though that's amazing if you can do that, but choose one thing that's like mm. an act of like, 
I know this is something that's good for me. I love that. And you always talk about that angel network. Can you just explain what that is for new listeners? I know that's a phrase you use all the time. Yeah, I would love to. So an angel network to me is just having your people in place, you know, and having the sort of your go-to help in place so that when you actually need it, it's already there. You already have your contacts made, whether that's yoga, nutritionist, acupuncturist, it can be anything, yoga teachers. Yeah. And it could be like a Pilates, it could be a workout class um, if you want it to be, but having those connections already made so that when you actually really need them and when you go into crisis, they're already there. And that was something I personally found so helpful. I was already in therapy once the sexual assaults happened. She already knew my story. She knew the backstory of everything. And so she could really help navigate. I wasn't coming in in crisis for the first time. That makes sense. So in February, you put, and so this is February 2020, you wrote, the day that you plant a seed is not the day that you eat the fruit. And kind of going back to where we started with, I think you called it gold dust or gold shimmer. When did you meet current boy- boyfriend, partner? What do we say? Yeah, it's funny. We fight over those words all the time because he thinks boyfriend yeah. sounds in high school and I love that. <laughs> yeah, you like boyfriend. Yeah, um, but he likes partner, but whatever. So yeah, so his name is Caduce um, Q. He and I met at a Mind Body Green conference about three or four years ago. We were mm-hmm. online getting lunch one after the other and we just started chatting and ended up sitting next to each other and having a whole lunch and I have like this distinct memory of he was sitting in between me and another woman and um, I remember him turning to talk to her and like having this pangs of jealousy that you're like what's going on and um, it turned out I think I friended him on Facebook because I thought he was super cute we had had like just we'd had like great I wouldn't even call it it wasn't like romantic chemistry I just thought he was awesome he is awesome I have that chemistry with him so and I've never met him I just like love his vibe so I know what you mean I would friend him too. Yeah, I love it. So yeah, I friended him. I saw he had a girlfriend. He didn't act like he didn't. So I just sort of forgot about it. A couple of years later, he then, he went through his own sort of life cycles of marriage, divorce. He happened to be in Denver for quarantine. And actually this is where dating apps come into play. Interestingly, um, this app called Raya, which I never used because no one's on it in Colorado. You have to be like, it's like an exclusive one. You need to like, it's the worst of all of them, you guys. (laughs) So he saw that I was on it and goes over to Facebook and sends me all these voice memos like, holy shit, you're on this. I just saw that you were here. I'm in Denver too. Like, Wait, sorry. Up. So what month is this? This is in June. June of this year? Okay. Yeah. Just so you know, I said on Instagram in February, you posted the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. He's your <laughs> snack. He's your fruit. Really? He's definitely my snack. He's so cute. So <laughs> he, yeah, we, we, he reached out. We hung out the first time on summer solstice. It's like the longest day of the year. Ooh. June 21st. Yep. And then we never stopped hanging out. So, okay. And here we are recording in October. I thought it was, I thought you were going to say like you met in, I mean, obviously I was there. I just forgot because you've seemed like a very longer step, but I mean, that's already been a long time, especially. Yeah. Given the circumstances. I mean, he moved right in. It was like, you know, it was just one of those things that I was even scared to tell my family and friends, like how fast it was all happening because from outer judgment, but again, going back to timeline things of like, in either direction, you're on your own timeline. And um, I think that that's been something really like that I've had to remind myself of a whole lot of like, I need to trust myself in this too. And also like when it's great, why are we gonna slow everything down? I mean, slow certain things down definitely. If yeah. like, and go at your own, go at a pace that actually feels right for you. Mm. But we've always had like, we've just had like the easiest communication and most fun time together. So why would we not? 
move things fast, you know? Okay. Yeah. And I think it, to your point, like there is no timeline other than your own timeline and, and there's no right speed or wrong speed. And sometimes things go fast. Sometimes they go slow. And it's, you know, just from an outsider looking in on your relationship, it obviously, you know, it seems very healthy. That's what I'll say. I'll say it seems healthy. I'm not going to say right or wrong. You never know like what's going to happen, but it's clear that you're both opening your hearts to each other and letting each other in. And he is, you know, he's obviously providing a lot of safety and security for you, which I love to see it. Is there anything about him or about you that you think why the puzzle pieces fit? Yeah, actually, I have a really interesting little tidbit of what happened right before I met him. Mm. I was seeing someone early quarantine. Oh, yeah. It was not it. It was so not it. And he was not showing up the way I needed him to. I was trying to be super honest about it and have the conversations that I, you know, asking for what I need. It wasn't, it just wasn't a click Mm -hmm. and wasn't excited to spend time. Like all of the things just weren't working. And I just internally was like, this person's not on my level. I'm not doing this again until someone is on my level uh, and can meet me there. And I just sort of like, yeah, mentally and internally, like truly decided and like sort of had that one of those like self-worth epiphanies that was just like, uh, uh-uh, this isn't it. Like not wasting time anymore on these ones that I already know aren't the fit. Like I've had a feeling, you know, with Josh back is a long time ago, but I knew what home felt like in a person. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not looking for that same dynamic, of course, being like, you know, 15 years older now, I also know what it feels like to really have a connection with someone like that's what I want. And he showed up a week later. (laughs) So after right as soon as I ended that other situation and got out of it and was like, Nope, that's not it. That's not happening. I'd rather be single for as long as it takes till I meet someone who can be like can hang and can hang with my friends and has great energy. Until then, I'd rather be solo. And it was sort of like as soon as I made that decision and like truly made it was when yeah he like appeared on my doorstep do you think that josh has some sort of orchestration to it yeah i love that you asked that yeah about a week after josh died you know all we ever wanted for each other was to find our people and we were really very like verbal about that with each other and verbal about like relationships since then and about a week after he passed i just had i saw this like black bird which he's always has like appeared to me as and they're everywhere they're everywhere they're me on hikes and I just had this sort of download. It felt like a lightning bolt where it was like, Josh is going to find, you know, bring you your person. But I just like knew it with every cell of my body. And yeah, there have been just like little moments where I just like, I just know that he had something really majorly to do with bringing Q to me and bringing me to him. And, you know, I just, I like really, really believe that he is a part of that. You might not be here, but like he's here. I don't know. I've never experienced that, but hearing you say it is kind of like, Nice to know that, like, I'm like picturing him around you right now. Like maybe he's in the room. Yeah, he totally could be. And he's just, yeah, I really believe in like energy and all of that stuff without it even having to get so religious. I know that now I know that he's like the best version of himself again. And um, yeah, he was like very full of love. So I like have no doubt that that still exists. This was a big year for you. We didn't even touch on the businesses that you started. Like I said, whenever I need a supplement or like something's off in my body, 
body, even though I'm a registered dietitian, like Carolyn's my dietitian, you know, you always know your stuff. And can you just tell us a little bit about you just hit 10 years becoming an RD woohoo, and you're like a huge geek, even though you don't look like one. Can you tell us about indigo nutrition and slow medicine? Because that I know this is a little bit more worky, but I want people to know what you do when you're not in love and talking about it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and yeah, having dance parties in, in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the rest of the time I um, have a private nutrition practice where we do both, both group nutrition and sort of membership stuff and one-on-one counseling. And something I've really moved into is this idea of slow nutrition that like food is the best medicine and it is the way that we like nourish our bodies, take the best care of ourselves uh, mentally, you know, hormonally, immunity wise, um, digestion wise, like everything's all related. So why are we trying to like jump into these fad diets and do quick fixes all the time? So I really, really have developed this idea of like slow nutrition, which isn't sexy, unfortunately. Um, No one wants to do things. Well, most people don't want to do things slowly. I think that we are having a sort of collective awareness of like slow shifts, whether it's with through meditation or yoga, sort of long-term do trump all these really quick, intense workouts or whatever. But um, slow nutrition, I think really is like the way of the future of like, we can heal our bodies amazingly with what we're putting in it every single day. And that of course has to do a lot with like healing our relationships with food as well. But right. And I don't think it's that people are like not into slow. I think it's the idea that like if a fast solution is there, why wouldn't they take it? Because that's what we've been conditioned. Fast is better. Results are, you know, whatever. And your nutrition to the outside, like I just feel like it, it is very nuanced how you treat or work with somebody. And I think like it's such an inside out approach that involves nature and hormones and getting to know your body and developing an angel network. Like you really bring it so macro where a lot of dietitians don't go. And you're also deep in the weeds in research, which people may not know about you is like you could study nutrition science all day long and then like regurgitate it in a way that makes sense. So you're also not like all the way out there in la la land where some people would kind of like, you know, roll their eyes like you're like talking about studies and nutrients and nutrient left like you're just you're just in it. Yeah. Thank you. It's really important to me to do both like sort of high level and low level and like be, you know, our feet on the ground, but also what is happening research wise. I like to look anecdotally, of course, like the stories that I get from clients, from friends are like the most important, but also what can we see that research is saying that can give us a hint to why these things work. I find personally, when I understand the why behind things, I'm way more likely to do something. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, a woo woo one that I've looked into the research heavily on is like grounding like taking your shoes off and putting your feet in the sand or in the grass or in the dirt or whatever. Actually, what's happening is like the sort of electron transfer that's going on does relax us. It can amazingly decrease anxiety and so many physical benefits to it. That's it's so cool that then I'm like, oh, of course, I'm going to do that every single time I have the chance. And it feels really good. I did a lot of earthing, I think I called it, or grounding, like in the summer. But I think even in like the winter, I want to keep doing it because we're just so disconnected from nature. So like, 
like to directly absorb that energy is so foreign to everything that we've been taught, which is like the alarm clock goes off on your phone. You open one eye, you check social media. The next thing you know, you're like fumbling to get dressed, to get out the door, to sit at your computer again, or maybe not out the door in COVID. But like getting outside in nature and feel like I think senses are important. So feeling it from the bottom of our feet all the way up and smelling it and maybe getting cold from it or warm from it or wet from it or like, you know, whatever it is, I think like connecting with what's outside is really foreign to us. So that's a great tool, I think, for everybody to wake up tomorrow. And maybe we can all if you're in a safe place to do so. And I know not everybody lives in maybe necessarily safe places, but getting outside and putting your feet on whatever earth Even if you live in a city, like there's little patches of dirt, like go get dirty. People are doing grosser things. (laughs) Totally. I I love that. Uh, It's I think it's such an important part of the day. It's a thing that I have all clients do for like at least 10 minutes a day is get outside in nature in some form, even if that means hanging off of like your balcony and getting in the sunshine. Love that. And one thing you just said real quick to just kind of like harp on slow versus fast is oftentimes the things that we do quickly wreck our bodies. So, okay, you might lose the weight on a fat diet, but you're actually just, you know, messed with your microbiome or your hormones and all these systems. So like while things might look really great on the outside, quote unquote, you're going to have to return to slow nutrition at some point. So the question is really, when are you going to, you know, choose your real health or or not? Okay, so you've got Indigo Nutrition and you've also got a online program for women to prepare their bodies for pregnancy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a program called Fruitful right now that is basically about it's sex ed 2.0. It starts so super sex ed. We find that women didn't learn anything about their bodies. You know, especially I went to like an all girls Catholic high school and I started, this is with my sister. Luckily, all of my businesses now are with my sister, which is so wonderful. Who's also amazing. Yeah, we started this. We were seeing women come in over and over. Like, I wish I had known that what I eat impacts my hormones or that plastics or my body products impacts my hormones. Even what BBT charting is when you're trying to get pregnant um, and trying to find out about your ovulation, there's lots of stuff that people, that things are whispered through the grapevine from friend to friend. And we were like, why do we not know about this? I didn't sure didn't know about a lot of this stuff until I was learning it to teach it. And so it's, I think it's just such important stuff that we want you to learn from, yeah, not from having to Google it at midnight. And we will link all that information below because like Carolyn's my nutritionist. I want her to be your nutritionist and following her on Instagram is of course the most fun. So we'll link all of that. So this was a heavier interview than expected, but going into a little bit of like rapid fire fun, what is your favorite kitchen appliance? Well, it was a gift from you, my Smeg tea kettle. Electric oh, tea. that is a good because oh, a, a water heater. Yeah, it was for me and some of the other nutrition girls. You really love it. I use it eight times a day. <laughs> Look at you stay hydrated. Everybody knows that I'm always hydrated. And now you're there with me in the form of hot beverages. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Do you think that everything happens for a reason? Sort of. <laughs> Please Um, don't feel like you have to say yes. That's not the point of this question, although I feel like people think it is. Yeah, no, I'm not sure that I think everything works out in your best interest. Okay, things are certainly working out in your best interest today. But I think that the two of us understand that, like, I say everything happens for a reason or everything works out in your best interest. I don't sit here today being like, you know, nothing's ever going to be hard again. 
Totally. Yeah. And I appreciate that so much about you. Like the realists, there are always ebbs and flows. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's hard to anticipate them, but it's important to not judge them as they come. So I think that that question sounds like I'm trying to make everybody sound positive, but it's not. So I'm glad you answered it with your own realness. Okay. Last fun question is, if you were a tree, what type of tree would you be, Carolyn Brownie? The first one that came to mind is an aspen tree. I love those. They're like changing right now and they're so beautiful. I love that. You're fancy. Yeah, I get fancy. They're everywhere. They're not only an aspen. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Also, I was going to say like a cactus, like can be kind of spiky, but cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like you're a mix of both, like a little quirky, but I, li- I like attainable luxury for you. That feels good. <laughs> luxury within reach. That's the type of tree you are this question. I love it. Thank you for asking that. Alyssa Chase, who made my jingle, asked me that question and I have put it into every interview. She's amazing as well. (laughs) Okay. Well, Carolyn, it has been quite the year, quite the interview or conversation, I should say. I'm so proud of you to watch you live your truthiest life and find your way. And you're a real inspiration for me, especially the things you shared here about how we need to stay open with our hearts and our physical bodies, because that's our connection to the the planet and other people and love and goodness. And I obviously it's easier for me to say, but I do believe if I went through what you went through, I'd close up like physically. And of course, you kind of have to for a time period. But you remind me to lead with an open heart, to give things another try, to never give up on you know, the things that we want and to take the leap. I mean, you took the biggest leap ever all the way from New York to Denver. And here you are, your other sister just, by the way, moved to Denver with you. So like your life is just like coming together beautifully right now. And I love to see it. Oh, that's so sweet. It, it, I mean, it's amazing the rewards that come from taking big risks and um, doing scary things. So thank you for being a witness to it and for that sweet, sweet summary. Oh, I love you. Thanks for being a guest. Thank you so much. Thanks for kicking it with me and Carolyn. That was such a special episode to sit down with one of my best friends and hear her tell me things that she's never told me before. And just that reminder that we need to constantly be holding space for people so that we can heal collectively. This episode can relate to so many people. If you know somebody who's worried about their timeline, they have extra stress about finding a partner or a career, whatever it may be, go ahead and send this episode to them feels like a big exhale or a sigh of relief that we can kind of be present and not so worried about what's going to happen if we just trust our instincts and maybe make some change in our life too. This week is election week, so if you haven't yet voted early, go ahead and make sure that you show up to the polls and use your voice to be the change in the world that you want to see. I look forward to seeing you back here next week for another episode of The Truthiest Life. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 